Welcome to Red Carpet Retirement. This podcast is all about helping business owners and those in the entertainment and creative industries secure and protect their financial future. We provide educational stories and specific strategies so you can achieve the red carpet retirement you so richly deserve. Now here's your host, Adam Scott. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Retirement with your host, Adam Scott. Listener, if you are just tuning in, Adam started a series. It was going to be a two-parter about some real estate information. He quickly realized that this is definitely needs to be three parts. So if you have not heard the first two, go back and listen to those. I, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, they could probably listen to this one and then go back to the other two. They don't have to do them in order, do they? No, no, Eric, they don't have to do them in order. Um, All right. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. first one was about home ownership and the future of home ownership and that the future may be different. Then the next one was owning a rental apartment or income producing properties, which is often the first investment that many people make, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if they're not invested in stocks and bonds or they're afraid of it. And then this today, we're going to be talking about commercial real estate, what's going on in commercial real estate. And yeah, I don't want to be alarmist, but I'm going to call it the downtown commercial real estate Armageddon and what mm -hmm. is going on there. And, and also the market dynamics currently and why the future may be different, that what worked for, for my generation or my parents' generation may not work for my children's de generation in owning rental apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we are going to talk about a cautionary tale about my wife owning a duplex uh, early on in our marriage and the horror story of that from a financial perspective that mm -hmm. will just show not only can you lose money on real estate, you can lose horrific amounts of money on real estate, mm. right? We're going to touch on some tax strategies at the end. So you know that there are ways you can sell without paying taxes or reducing your taxes. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Right. So we're going to jump right into the, my concerns right now and about the economy. And you know, mortgages just topped 7% last week and you know, my mortgage as i've mentioned before is at like 2.375 right mm -hmm. and if you're going to buy a rental building it's going to be even more than that and mortgage demand is now down 20 percent year over year so the demand for property is falling but prices haven't yet fallen for all of the reasons that that we've talked about on the previous episode but at some point, because of this reduced demand and with these higher mortgages that people are paying so much more for their mortgages, it's so much more of a bigger share of their wallet, uh, that I think chickens are going to come home to roost, not just in the housing market, but potentially in the in the rent in the in the income producing property market. So that doesn't even necessarily mean they're going to fall. They could just stabilize in price. And a lot of the benefit for the last three or four decades that real estate investors have experienced has been due to price appreciation. If we don't get price appreciation in the same way, you may find the carrying costs of real estate just don't work out. And I think I said earlier on one of the earlier podcasts that that the mantra to me of the last 40 years in real estate is that uh, fortune has favored the reckless. Yep. Uh, and, oh, fortune me. has, <laughs> right. Fortune has favored the foolish. Yes, people I'll take who... both of those. <laughs> the people who got way overextended and decreasing mortgage rates, you know, bailed them out. 
appreciating property prices, bail them out. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I could actually, I had it down here to quote, but uh, th there's like one of the biggest apartment owners in somewhere like, is, is in Texas and uh, in, I think it's Houston. And it's an Indian gentleman who started, he was a tech worker and he started buying apartment buildings, leveraging them up, getting money from all his friends and family and, and leveraging that money up. And uh, kept buying more and more apartment buildings until he became, this is like within a very short period of time, I'm going to say within 10 or 15 years since the last crash, that he became the biggest apartment owner in, in Houston just because he met, leveraged himself to the max. Well, now as mortgage rates are readjusting and he's having to refinance these, he can't possibly refinance it mm. and, and make them cash flow positive. And this is all defaulting. You know, he, he is now bankrupt and and he's foreclosing on wow. all the properties. He's lost his friends and family, you know, their life savings. So fortune favored him for many years as for the reasons that we talked about. Now, suddenly things turn and it maybe fortune is going to favor the cautious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Now, also in the in the local market, rents are decreasing in the Santa Monica area because a lot of apartments or buildings are coming on stream in downtown Santa Monica, where we are. Also, not only is more supply coming online here, but this thing I can quote, according to, to Reuters, that, that we had the largest increase in unit starts, 291,000 a unit increase in May. And that's wow. the, most, the most since 1990. So we had the biggest jump in apartment building in May since 1990. So there's a ton of stuff coming on stream potentially. There's always, nobody has a crystal ball. There are supply bottlenecks. So things may not get built out as quickly as, as, as anticipated. That may still constrain supply. But bottom line is, there is a lot of supply also coming on tap. So let, let me ask you this because... Eh. And I hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings by saying this, Adam, but there, there's kind of a running joke about how many people are moving out of California to other states. When I was when I lived in Washington, people complained, all the Californians are moving up here. Texas, all the Californians are moving out here. There's so many, so many states that are saying the same thing. A lot of people from California, because honestly, when they sold their real estate, they got a ton of money or a, a very good chunk of money for selling their real estate, and then they moved to someplace like Omaha, Nebraska, for instance, and could buy 10 times the house for half the money. I mean, it's, it's crazy, the, the conversion that they were doing. Are you seeing that? Is that something that you truly believe is happening? There's a lot of people moving out of California for, I know there's tax issues and so on and so forth. And then the fact, I think you said 291,000 new units. That's, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, that's that's nationwide. So that that was not okay. specific Santa okay. Monica. That that's like, yeah. That yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the increase, right? That so it was yeah. just the biggest increase since 1990, month over month. Okay. And so I'm just saying, there's a lot of activity going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. And in terms of people moving out of California, I don't have the figures uh, for say the last 12 months, but I I know that prior to that. Yes, that that California was seeing a uh, a net outflow, and yeah. then finally, of course, we keep talking about this uh, possible recession. Well, not we, not not you and me, Eric, but economists. Mm -hmm. 
the economists, the newspapers keep talking about a possible recession on the horizon. And that could affect things even more if you were to buy a rental property right now. So that's what you, sh- what you need to be careful of. Yeah. So we're going to get onto the cautionary tale about my wife. Again, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but I'm just saying, don't think that it's a slam dunk. So my wife bought a duplex with her parents uh, in around, I don't know, I'm going to call it 1983. And her grandmother had left her a little bit of money. So her parents said, you've got to put that money into bricks and mortar because bricks and mortar is real, real estate. And Uh stocks and bonds, they felt, were gambling. So my wife had to buy a duplex. They bought it in a great neighborhood in downtown Austin, close to the university. And and she put in the down payment, and they started paying the mortgage, and they got renters in there. Texas at the time was very rich, and so oil prices were very high. And and Texans were living, you know, in hog heaven. Then they had an oil bust. What happened? When there was an oil bust, property prices started falling. Nobody could pay the rents. And... When I met my wife in 1986, she told me that her duplex, that the mortgage on her duplex was was twice the value of the actual duplex itself. So as I seem to remember, the mortgage was 160000 and the duplex was worth $90,000. Oh, geez. Yeah. I thought she had a math wrong. I just couldn't believe this. I thought, well, look, this, this young woman, she's she's got a house. I've got a house, a good solid financial foundation. And I didn't take what she said to me seriously. We got married and a few years went by and I found, yes, she is actually correct that the mortgage is worth twice the value of the property because rents had fallen, prices had fallen in Texas. Anyway, I thought, well, surely as time goes by, this thing will get right side up. And anyway, her parents were paying the difference between the rent and the and the mortgage because we didn't have to at that time. Uh and I thought, well, as long as they're willing to pay the difference, let's, it's not really my business and let's hang on to it. Of course, when the day came about 10 years into our marriage where her parents were struggling financially and they came to her and said, you've got to top up the difference. And it was $1,000 a month. you know. And I was in my mid-30s and $1,000 would be a lot to me now, but it was even more to me then. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so yeah, she had been holding this property for about 15 years, but it was still worth only 50% of what oh, she of what she had paid for it, 50% of the mortgage. And finally, we foreclosed on it. So yes, she lost this inheritance that her grandmother had given her. Her parents had been losing thousands of dollars a year on effectively subsidizing the rent to keep this thing afloat. And that's, that had a heavy impact on me right? Realizing, wow, you really can lose money on property. Mm-hmm. That, that is my, uh, that's my cautionary tale. Make sure that it doesn't happen to you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's huge. And the funny thing, and I don't, don't want to say funny because losing a hundred thousand dollars is nothing to shake a stick at, right? But it could have been so much worse, right? I mean, you're, you're talking Austin in Texas where it, you know, the, the like you said, the values were down, can you imagine somebody sinking money into, an, like you said, an apartment building in California and thinking everything's going to go great, and then all of a sudden it loses half its value or it's worth half of what the mortgage is? That that's, could be millions of dollars that somebody's going to lose. Right, right. Absolutely. Hmm. And you know what, is off, what often happens, like the Indian gentleman that I mentioned earlier, and uh, who, by the way, I mean, this guy, 
had a career in technology, he started doing this midlife, right? So typical kind of mom and pop person that, that he was not a professional real estate investor originally. And he kept leveraging up. And you see that all the time that, that it seems so easy then that, that they just sort of rinse and repeat. And, but they're always leveraged to the hilt so that when the property goes south, they lose everything and their investors lose everything. Yeah. And now we're going to talk about, it's not even just the mom and pop who loses, who can lose money in real estate. Amazingly enough, the most experienced people seem to be caught up by the same kind of fanaticism, I'll call it, as the mom and pop uh, investor. And we're going to talk about what's going on in downtown commercial real estate, particularly here in LA. So there's a company called Brookfield that was the, I think it owned the most downtown office buildings here. If it didn't own the most, it certainly owned a lot. And I think it owns uh, like six office buildings in, or it did in downtown LA. And these things are huge, right? These are iconic buildings <laughs> and it has either foreclosed or is in, in default on five of the buildings. So five out of the six buildings are in, are in default that it's going to lose those buildings. It's not, it cannot pay the mortgage on those buildings. And Brookfield, I believe that it is owned by Apollo and Apollo, they are one of the smartest asset managers in the country. And this is their real estate arm. And for their real estate arm to make such, I don't want to say such bad decisions, but it's just in, but it's just interesting that even people at the top of finance are making these kind of mistakes. Yeah. And hmm. I'll just say this was in the Wall Street Journal on May, May the 1st, 2023. And another thing to understand about Brookfield and other companies like it is that the majority of Brookfield's $2.3 billion of mortgages have what we call floating rate interest, uh, floating rate interest rates attached to them, which means that their current mortgages are set to expire in 2023 and 2024. And when they expire, those mortgages are going to reset at much higher levels. And this is happening across the commercial real estate industry, that mortgages are going to be resetting at a higher level. And so-, so Hang on, why is that, Adam? Because, I mean, this is, this is 08, 09 when it came to variable mortgages, right, for, mm -hmm. for homes. Mm -hmm. How do they not learn a lesson from a variable rate or a rate that resets? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand how they didn't look at this as a possibility. This is just 10, right. 10, 15 years, well, 15 years ago. Right. So my understanding, again, I'm not an expert in the commercial real estate market, but my understanding is that if you're, if you're buying a huge building in downtown LA, you can't get a 30-year mortgage on that thing, that you get a five to 10-year mortgage, and then you refinance oh. the mortgage. Oh, okay. 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 Well, still a bad idea. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Jeez. And you yeah. know, the irony in, in looking into the history of Brookfield and where it came from is that it bought its portfolio or a lot of its portfolio from a from a man called Maguire. I think it's called Robert Maguire. And he effectively built downtown LA. He built a lot of these skyscrapers in like the 1980s and 1990s. And when I came to LA 30 years ago, Maguire was you know, one of the richest men and most powerful men in town. What I didn't realize is that Maguire himself overextended himself and he went bust in 2009 mm. and 
he ended up having to sell all his properties in a fire sale. And a lot of them ended up with Brookfield. Wow. So yeah, as I say, even the most uh, veteran real estate investors get caught up in this of leveraging themselves to the hilt, which is all great, you know, until it isn't. Yeah. Until the piper comes calling, right? Until the, yeah. And right now the piper is coming calling because apparently 30% of office space in downtown Los Angeles was available for lease at the end of 2022, according mm. to Collier's. <laughs> now that's 30%. the highest. Yeah. 30%, 30% vacant. And yeah, I shouldn't, I've also, I think I've read that currently it's 50%, but I, I don't have that. I don't think I have that down here of where I get that 50%. But either way, there's a lot of empty office buildings in LA and elsewhere. Yeah. You, I, mean, I always, we, we, we spoke about this. I think you and I spoke about it off air and I've sp you know, spoken to other advisors and things about what COVID did, right? As far mm -hmm. as everybody working from home and all these large office buildings, real, realizing a lot of people can work from home now. I'm wondering how much of this is the ripple effect from that because there was a mass exodus um, because of rules, right? But then there was, a, there was a pretty large comeback to the office push where a lot of people did come back to the office and a lot of, a lot of companies found value in at least part-time uh, going to the office to, to be able to see each other in person and, and, and have these uh, meetings in person so people can actually really work together and, and kind of iron sharpening iron situations but that still seems like an extraordinary large amount of empty places you know for for where we're at right now a couple of years after the pandemic yeah absolutely and i think it varies by region and uh, yeah i mean even just anecdotally you can talk to people and let's say they're in omaha nebraska or a small town in nebraska the office is full everyone's going back to work they like yep. going back to work 100 yep yeah and their commute is five minutes uh, down here in LA or San Francisco, your commute is often pretty brutal. That's a uh, great point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's really expensive to live in these cities. So if you can work remotely, uh, then, um, that's very attractive or, or like my son who lives in this city and, and, uh, but he likes to go surfing every morning. <laughs> so there's a, he prefers to go surfing than to maybe hang out by the coffee cooler mm -hmm. <laughs> or the coffee yep. machine. And just, um, uh, yeah, so just a couple of other fascinating little tidbits here. <laughs> not, not, not so fascinating, not such tidbits for, for Blackstone. That's one of the companies involved. So Blackstone apparently sold Griffin Towers office complex in Santa Ana for 36% less than, guess when? Guess when it's 36% less than? Any idea? 2019? 2014. Oh my lord! Yeah, so if you—that's uh, almost ten I, years ago. Yeah, now I don't know whether they were the ones who bought it. Um, maybe they were. I guess they must have been the ones who bought it in 2014, and they've made a 36 percent loss on it. And mm. as you say, like over ten years. Um, oh, here's a great one: uh, the tower uh, at 350 California in San Francisco. Like this is again an iconic building, is expected to trade at 80 percent less than its. 2019 value right 80 percent yeah. less um so yeah i could go on and on about what's going on but the point is yes going back to your return to work 
whether it's 50% or I certainly don't think it's above 70%. Unfortunately, I don't have the figure here, mm-hmm. the precise um, uh, figure, but uh, it is between 50 to 70%, depending on where, where you are. But that's still a lot of empty office space. And uh, and yeah, companies are renegotiating renegotiating their leases, and uh, and the owner the owners of these real estates are are having problems now. A lot of these buildings, you know, it's not when we say Blackstone or when I talked about Brookfield, it is investors who could be my client, not my clients. Okay, they're not my clients who are in these in these kind of things. I've not tended to put clients in these. Uh, structures and strategies, but behind Blackstone, behind Brookfield, behind Apollo, are—I'll call it mom and pop investors. If you're a high net worth investor, you can invest in what we call REITs, uh, real estate income trusts, and a lot of these buildings are owned by REITs, including Blackstone has a REIT, right? And Brookfield is a REIT, so mm-hmm. it is affecting. It will affect ordinary investors who are invested in those. Um, in those uh, office building REITs. Now, the good news is there are strong areas. So there are areas where people can be invested and make money, like warehousing is doing great, you know, industrial uh, space, like industrial space is that it's got like, it's only got like a 2% vacancy rate or something through the country. There's such a demand Mm. for industrial space with all the onshoring. So there are areas of the real estate market, the commercial real estate market that are strong. Miles, of course, they're struggling, right? Miles and retail are struggling. So you have to know where to invest. Yeah. Well, that's always the question, right? Right, right. Absolutely. And of course, you can come and see us and (laughs) we can help you get in those vehicles and make those decisions. Yeah. So just a little bit, uh, you know, just to conclude here, one last thing about tax strategies. So what do you do if you've, if you've got a bunch of money, uh, if you uh, sitting in such uh, investments, be it in REITs or, and maybe you want to get out of it, or maybe it is in, uh, maybe, maybe you've got an apartment building and you're, and you've held it for 30, 40 years and you feel that it's not worth the trouble of owning it anymore and dealing with the plumbing and dealing with the leaking roof and the mm-hmm. bad tenants that we discussed before, but you've got a huge amount of appreciation. If you sell it, you're going to have a huge tax bill. So what do you do? There are tax strategies. You you come and see me, or you go and see your financial advisor, or you go and see your accountant, because there are strategies that you can do. You know, the most obvious one is what's called a 1031 exchange. So you mm-hmm. can exchange your apartment building into maybe um a holder of, of those warehouses, right? Maybe you want to own Amazon warehouses and you don't have to personally run it or manage it. All you do is take the rent and you do that through what we call a DST, a Delaware State Trust. 1031 exchange and uh, that's what it's got to be if you're just going to be exchanging a single apartment building um, i won't get into the weeds of what that is but you can do it you can go from the apartment building to owning to being a part owner in a bunch of amazon warehouses um i am not that's no endorsement for that as an investing strategy is just an example <laughs> yeah yeah um and then the other thing, uh, there are other strategies you can do, such as you could also set up uh, what's called a charitable, charitable remainder trust. And that can be an extremely effective tax strategy for getting out of the taxes of selling that building. A lot is going to need to depend on your situation. It's going to depend on your age. It's going to depend on the appreciation, whether it makes sense. But it can actually increase your lifetime after-tax income 
by mm-hmm. doing this charitable gift. It's better for everyone. It makes a charity better off and it makes you better off. It just makes a tax man poorer. But again, that requires careful analysis in your situation. Yeah. And a phone call. And a phone call. Yeah. And a phone yeah. Call. yeah. The future may not be different, but over the course of these three episodes, I've talked about why the future may be different and why the next three decades may not be as good as the last three or four decades were and prices may not continue appreciating in the way that they did. Yeah. And and I know to the listener, I know that this has been three podcasts about this, the real estate, but still, Adam, I know you, I know you all enough that you've really only scratched the surface. So if if they've got property and they're thinking selling and they want to talk about tax strategies, great. Give, give a call. We're going to get that contact information in a minute. But if you're interested in, you know, how can I, I still believe real estate's a good idea I just want to do it the right way. Again, call Adam uh, because you guys can have this discussion and he's got a deep bench. I don't want to speak on behalf of you, Adam, but I know you all know that that you have a deep bench. You have a lot of professionals that you work with um, that if you don't have the answer, you're going to point them in the right direction. So let's get them some contact information so they can reach out to you. Right. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. So you can always, uh, you can Go to our website at wellacrewealth.com, wellacrewealth.com. Or you can even call me on my direct line, uh, which is 310-231-5262, 310-231-5262. Or just email me at ascott at wellacrewm.com, wellacrewm.com. Adam, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Eric. It's been a lot of fun as ever. You bet. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Red Carpet Retirement Podcast with Adam Scott. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Adam comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And I encourage you to, if you've sat around the dinner table talking about, you know, investment opportunities and, and real estate and what's going on in the market, which I think most of us have, um, share this podcast with them and and then have a great discussion and then make a phone call on speakerphone so you can all talk to Adam together (laughs) again. Thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Wellacre Wealth, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellacre Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content should not be considered as legal or tax advice, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and consult with your own legal and tax professionals before taking any action.